It is certainly my pleasure and Pat's pleasure to be here with you today. It's uh, always a pleasure to come and be a part of this congregation. Good to see all of you today. I have a number of people here that I feel very close to, and uh, I'm looking forward, of course, to making the yearly trip with Frank to the Philippines, but it's good to see all of you. And, uh, you know, lately, the last few years, I have spent uh, a good bit of my time studying the teachings of Christ. And one of the things that uh, never ceases to amaze me is that the more you study a sermon of Christ, whether it be a parable or some other teaching, every time you see those things, you see things that are just profound. And, and, and you learn, even this morning as I was looking over uh, this uh, uh, little lesson that I want to teach, I learned some more that I just never had thought of before. I want to talk with you today and this afternoon about the Beatitudes that are found in the, uh, basically, the fifth chapter of Matthew. You know, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us that without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11, verse 6. And faith, as the writer describes it or defines it in that context, is conviction. Conviction and confidence. Conviction that God does indeed exist and confidence that he will indeed do that which he has promised. And the text before us today describes the experience of a person who literally turns from darkness to light and it marks the beginning of that life which, if consistently pursued, will ultimately lead to a home with God. Some say that the Beatitudes is really a study in values and that Jesus is saying, in effect, if you want to be happy, if you want to be blessed, here is the standard, or if you will, the recipe of values. One of the things that you have to keep in mind when Jesus was here preaching there was almost always a reason for what he said. He didn't just get up and talk off the top of his head. He dealt with the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests and the Sadducees, all of which hated him and were looking to do him in. And much of what Jesus said, even in these Beatitudes, had to do with the people who worked against him, who hated him, and who was, were trying to do him in. The parables that Jesus taught, almost all of them deal with the establishment of the kingdom. And he was trying to teach about a kingdom that none of them understood what was. How do you tell somebody about a kingdom that they've never seen before? How do you explain, for instance, uh, I, I used to use this little illustration and I'll mention it again, I used to say, how do you uh, tell somebody about a widget if they've never seen a widget? I used that illustration one place, and somebody came up to me and said, believe it or not, there's a company now that's making widgets. So I had to let that one go. But at any rate, how do you tell about the kingdom of God when nobody has a clue what the kingdom of God is like? Now, when they thought of a kingdom, they thought of Solomon or David, a massive, majestic, wealthy kingdom. But in this kingdom, the wealth is not in the, the building or the temple. 
But the wealth in the kingdom of God is in the wealth of the people. We are the wealth. We are his people. We are what makes the church beautiful and powerful and majestic. And the wealth is not in our buildings. You can look at our buildings and see that that's not the point. But in the Beatitudes, there's something else. And I think it's brought out, and I'm going to go into a little detail this morning, not as much as I would like, but a little detail this morning concerning the uh, so-called parable of the prodigal son, because actually that was given in direct result, as a direct result, of some things that Jesus had been experiencing from the Pharisees and the scribes. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First of all, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And now, you know, you, you think about this, and when you study what Jesus said, you've got to look underneath the surface. There will always be a surface lesson there that almost anyone can grasp, and I'm sure that was one of the purposes in the type of, of teaching that our Lord did. He wanted everybody to understand it, but underneath the surface are some things that are just simply profound, and that's all there is to it. Of course, he was the Son of God. He was the Christ, and he had the Spirit without measure. There was no limit to what he was capable of doing, and so that puts him head and shoulders above anybody that we've ever known. But a man who is poor in spirit physically is a man who is destitute, poor, no money, no resources. But a man who is poor in spirit is a man without spiritual resources. And if a man can ever see himself as the Lord sees him, he's way ahead of the game. You know, when I was a boy, I used to hear my father use this little illustration. I don't remember the point he was trying to make, but it makes my point rather well. He said, there may be a fellow by the name of Tom. Now he said, there is Tom as Tom sees himself. There is Tom as Tom's friends see Tom. And then there is Tom as the Lord sees Tom. And all three of those uh, perspectives are likely to be different. That's right. A man who is poor spiritually sees himself more like the Lord sees him. We may see ourselves as rich spiritually. The Laodiceans were that way. Jesus said, you think that you're rich and you, you do not realize that you are naked and miserable and poor and blind. He said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold that is tried in the fire, etc., etc., etc." They thought they had it made. The church at Ephesus is another good uh, example of that kind of, of an attitude. They thought they were, everything was perfect when in fact, the Lord saw them in a totally different light and different perspective than they had seen themselves. So the man who is poor in spirit, spiritually, is ready and willing to listen to the Lord and accept help on the Lord's terms. And this seems to be, I think, the idea. Remember now that you have the Pharisees and the scribes who follow Jesus around and they are looking to complain and to minister problems for him wherever they could. And they did it on a daily basis. So much of the teachings of the Lord undoubtedly was influenced by the attitude of those enemies that he had. 
And when we understand that, it makes it much easier for us to see it. Worldly men will say that pride and perhaps even a bit of arrogance is necessary to achieve uh, uh, success in the world because they say, if one does not think well of himself, others are not likely either to think well of him. But the Bible says no. In Proverbs 16 and 18, Solomon said, Pride goeth before a fall, before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. You know, I could and you could too, if we would just think a moment, could think of people that perhaps we have known in the church who were very talented, who really accomplished a lot of good, but it seemed to go to their head. And they got a little big for themselves. And problems developed, and some of those people are not even uh, faithful today. Like Solomon said, a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he, God, may exalt you in due time. There's an old saying that the old preachers used to use, that the way down is up, and the way up is down. If you want the Lord to see you and use you as, he, as only he can, put yourself down and don't look at yourself as a big shot. Brother Gay used to say that people who seek a position in the church are not likely to find it. But the position will find the person who is humble and ready to be used. That's so true. The Lord will use those who are humble and willing to be used in any way that he can be used and go any place that they can, be go, uh, that they can go. We just recently lost one of our greatest preachers in my estimation, Brother Johnny Elmore. I knew Johnny all of my life. Spent a lot of time with him. Johnny was one of those modest people who never tooted his own horn he never told anybody how much he knew, but the truth of it was he was as much of a scholar as anybody we ever had among us. And I know that Johnny lived in places that was difficult for him to live. I know he worked in places that he almost received nothing. I know that because as a little boy, I saw my father go through some of the same kinds of situations that he did. Brethren didn't have any money in the 40s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Most of them were poor, and consequently, the preachers had to do without as well. So if you want to be used, see yourself as the Lord sees you. Be humble. Be contrite. Be willing to be used in any way that you possibly can, and the Lord will, will use you. A man that is poor in spirit, really poor in spirit, realizes that he desperately needs God and he will then receive divine help. The poor in spirit see themselves as they really are in God's sight and they're conscious of nothing except their need of his love and forgiveness. I want to turn uh, quickly and study just a little bit from Isaiah 66 verses 1 and 2. If I can find my place here. <clears throat> Excuse me a minute, I didn't put a marker in and my pages are not wanting to react to my fingers. <clears throat> Isaiah 66, 
verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Maybe I'll get it. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine, eye, hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Now I want you to try to see this as the Lord intended for us to see it. He says, the heaven is my throne. You ever look to the heavens and see the majestic things there? It's, it's incredible. And heaven itself, where the Lord dwells, that we have not seen, is undoubtedly unbelievable, and we will have to see it to believe it. But imagine the Lord living in such a place as heaven, and he says, the earth is my footstool. You see all of these magnificent buildings around that men build, and even church buildings that are just uh, incredible. And we think, how could it get any better than that? Well, look at it from the Lord's standpoint. He lives in heaven itself. And the earth with all of these magnificent structures is his footstool. That's where he rests his feet. And so he says, where is the house and what is the house that you would build unto me? Do you expect me to be impressed? Do you expect me to be awed by anything you could build for me? Why, where I live is far above anything that you could ever do. Isaiah said one time, uh, Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, For my ways are not your ways, neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't impress God with something we do unless it is, of course, in obedience to what God says. So how are we going to impress God? We're only going to impress God by being poor in spirit and realizing that we require God and without him, we don't literally don't have a chance. But then he said in Isaiah 66 verses one and two, well, I've already read that, so let me just move on. I, I've got to hurry just a little bit. He said, blessed are they that mourn now, you know, this is seen and explained in so many different ways. It is true, as Frank and I were talking a moment ago, that God is speaking about those who mourn of their sins. You know why he said this, though? Because the Pharisees and the scribes did not. They were self-righteous. They were actually not righteous at all, but they saw themselves as being righteous. Oh, they knew the law. They could quote it the day through, but they didn't do what the law said. In fact, Jesus said one time, do not do as the Pharisees do, for they say and do not. And of course, many of us are in that same boat. We quote the scripture, but in truth, we may not actually live up to the scripture. And that's too bad, but that's human nature sometimes. Blessed are they that mourn. Notice the relation of this beatitude to the first one. This relationship is forcefully illustrated, and I, I hope to bring this out and make you understand what I'm saying. It's forcefully illustrated by the case of the prodigal son. 
And I want to spend just a couple of minutes on this. I won't get all the way through these Beatitudes this morning, but I hope to finish them this afternoon. This, uh, sometimes people talk about the parable of the prodigal son, when in reality, if you look at that uh, parable, it consists of, of three illustrations that are part of the same parable. And there was a reason that he did what he did. If you want to understand that parable in Luke 15, you have to go back and look at the opening verses, of course, because that establishes the context. Jesus had stopped to be with and to eat with and to teach some who were sinners and publicans. I've often wondered why that sinners and publicans were differentiated because the truth of it was the publicans were sinners also. But apparently they were different, they were different kind of sinners than just ordinary uh, uh, farm brand sinners. Well, these sinners had come to be with the Lord and they wanted to listen to him. And so Jesus was all set to teach them and help them. But oh, here along comes the Pharisees and the scribes and they're self-righteous. They wouldn't spit on these people that the Lord is getting ready to teach. They look at them as lost nothings. And they said, this man eateth and receives sinners. And the Lord spake this parable unto them. Remember who he's talking to. My, what a lesson he preached. He said, a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one of them. And a great search was established until he found that sheep which was lost. And he said, and it undoubtedly was a lamb because it was small enough that the man could put it on his shoulders. He said, when he had found the sheep, he layeth it on his shoulders. And I, you know, my grandfather used to raise sheep and as a boy, I helped him when he needed help. And many was the time I've seen him pick up a lamb that was freshly born and usually dropped in the snow and would lay there shivering and steaming. And he would pick that lamb up and put it on his shoulders and bring it up to the house and give it whatever it was that he gave it to help nourish it. But he said, this man says, come and rejoice with me for I have found that sheep which was lost. And he said, and remember who he's talking to. He's talking to those people who are complaining that he's eating and teaching sinners. May I ask the question, think about this, who better to teach than sinners? That's what it's all about, isn't it? That's what it's all about. Jesus said, and get this, and remember who he's talking to, there is joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Who is he talking to? Who is it that needs no repentance? Well, the Pharisees and scribes didn't think they needed to. But Jesus is pointing out to them that they do need to. And these people that are sinners and publicans are like that one sheep that was lost. And he says, I'm going after them. That's the point of this, of this parable. And then he moves on to the next one. As he looks out over the audience, I suspect he sees some women out there. And he said, either what woman of you, if she has 10 pieces of silver and loses one, will not light a candle and search the house and search diligently until she finds it. And when she's found it, she comes to her friends and neighbors and says, come and rejoice with me. I found that piece which I have lost. 
And again he said, there is joy or rejoicing among the angels in heaven over one sinner that repents. Are they getting the lesson? I doubt it. But what a lesson they're getting. And then he said, and he gets to the prodigal son, he said a certain man had two sons. Now you talk about poignant and pointed. This gets to the heart of the matter. Remember, in this parable, the father in this parable is analogous to the father in heaven. And the two sons represent the kinds of people that you're going to find in the world. The Pharisees and the scribes were, were pretty well fit by both of these types. He said, the younger of the sons came to the father and said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And I never read that or think about it that I don't remember what might have happened if I'd have ever gone to my dad and said, Dad, give me what's coming to me. Whatever it might have been, probably wouldn't have been much money involved. But at any rate, this father, analogous to the Father in heaven, divided his living unto them. Unusual, because usually the older son would inherit before the younger son. But here the situation is reversed. The younger son takes his money, however much it was, and I suspect it was a fair amount. And Jesus said, not many days hence, he took his leave and went into a far country. He got away as far as he could get from dad and his foolish rules. He rebelled against everything he knew. And Jesus said he got down there and he wasted his substance in riotous living. Riotous living was bad living. It was really bad. Later, the older son claimed that he had wasted his living with harlots. And that was unfair because he didn't know, but it was probably the truth. At any rate, he soon loses everything that he had. He doesn't have any money. And so he gets himself a job in the far country from a Gentile. Has to be. That's, why, that's what the far country means. He's in a place that is far away from God's laws and far away from God's ways. And this Gentile sends him into his fields to feed his pigs. Pigs are an unclean animal to the, to the Jews. They couldn't eat them. They didn't want anything to do with them. But this young man not only is feeding them, he's living with them because he didn't have any choice. And he's so bad off that he would gladly have eaten with them. And then he said he came to himself. Get the point. These Pharisees and scribes have not come to themselves. No, they, they haven't. They still think they're the real thing. But he came to himself. And what first you have a situation that is, that is misery. This young man is miserable. He is spiritually without resources. He's poor in spirit. He finally sees himself as he really is. And he says, how many servants does my father have? And they have bread to spare and I perish with hunger. He said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go home. And I'm going to say to my father, 
I have sinned against heaven and, and against and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. That's true. He wasn't. These Pharisees and scribes were not worthy of Jesus preaching to them either, but they were getting it. And so he, he got up and he went home. And you remember the rest of it. The father received him joyfully. I'm sure when he left home, he had a robe and a ring and shoes, but he had none of it when he got back. But all of that was restored to him. And the father said, bring the best robe and put on him. I, I, there's a whole sermon I preach on this sometimes. But it's interesting to me that, my friend, if you're away from the Lord today, and that means if you're away from his church, if you're out of duty, as we sometimes say, there's one thing that's going to happen to you just like it happened to this young man. Soon after he spent everything he had, Jesus said there came a famine in the land. If you're away from God today and the famine hasn't come to your house yet, get ready, it's on the way. Won't be long. And I mean by that, that the day is going to come that you find yourself without spiritual resources. You, you just don't have anybody to call on. You don't have any friends. At least none that are going to do you any good. You're poor. You're miserable. And suddenly, I hope it will happen to you like it did in this young man's case, that you come to yourself. Jesus was hoping, you see, that these Pharisees and scribes would come to themselves. The people he was worried about was not so much those lost sheep of the house of Israel that had come to hear him preach that day. He was worried about those who were complaining about him. That was his greatest fear, his greatest worry. They didn't think there was anything wrong with them. They were all fat and sassy and healthy when in fact they weren't at all. So the famine came, and he got up and he went home. Well, here's the case. It is a case of misery, coming to oneself, and finally a confession of the situation that you find yourself in. Well, listen. They that mourn because of their sins and because of the misfortunes of life, a loss of their life or loss of lives of loved ones, a loss of their health or loss of fortune are brought to see life in proper perspective and able to set their own course aright. I want to turn to Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter. And I want you to notice something that will kind of go unnoticed if you're not careful. Chapter seven, beginning, I'll just begin at verse two. Solomon said, and remember, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was now an old man. His life was pretty much behind him. He had wasted his life. He, well, you name it, he had done it. He said, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to, the, than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. What a strange thing to say. You mean to tell me that there are times in our lives and that we can be in situations in our lives that we will benefit more from going to a house of mourning, a funeral maybe, 
than we would to a house of feasting where a party's going on? That's what he said. He said, the living will lay it to his heart. Those who are alive and have the opportunity to make a change may well do that because they realize, hey, that's where I'm going one of these days. That's what's going to happen to me, and I've got some things I need to do before I get it done. He said, sorrow is better than laughter. Strange, I never thought of it that way, did you? But he said, sorrow is better than laughter for or because by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. What does it mean by that? Not really that we have to be sad all the time. Fred Kerbo used to say we don't have to look like with a long face so long that we could eat oats out of a churn. That's not the idea. But the wise person will realize that there's something to be benefited here. This life's not going to last very long. I don't care how well off you are now. One of these days it's all going to be over and you're going to be looking at the house of mourning. But he said the heart of fools is in the house of, mar of mirth. So true. Those who just live for today, one day follows another, one day follows another, and the first thing you know, life is gone. Life is gone. You know, uh, there's a, a quick little story that I want to tell you before I close. I'm going to close and finish up this afternoon, Lord willing. But in uh, Neosho, Missouri, where I've held a few meetings and supposed to go back, there was a young man who had been out of duty for years. I don't know what had happened. He just, he just quit. And suddenly, for some reason, he came to himself. And he came to the church. I don't remember if it was a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. But he showed up on his motorcycle. <clears throat> and he went down the aisle and he made a confession of faults. And the brethren prayed for him. And, of course, they were glad to see him. They hadn't seen him in a long, long time. He'd been gone for years. And they had prayer and everything was wonderful and everybody hugged each other's neck. And he got on his motorcycle and he left and about 15 minutes later he was dead as the result of an awful accident on the highway. That's cutting it pretty close. That's cutting it pretty close. And this is, I think, why that the heart of, the, of, of fools is in the house of mirth. They really don't see life as it really is. Life as it really is is not much more than a time to prepare for eternity. That's really what it's all about. Now, we all have a good time, and I like to have a good time, too. I like to laugh and carry on and act silly sometimes, and we all have done that, I suppose. But the truth of it is, what we need to be thinking about is what's going to come after this is all over. You know, as I said, we've lost Johnny. Johnny loved to laugh and have a big time. And Ronnie Wade is barely hanging on. And I talk to him every few days. And as soon as I talk to him on the phone, I'll say, how's it going, brother? And his, he always says, Don, I'm not doing any good. Nobody enjoyed life any more than Ronnie or Johnny. But I think Ronnie sees what we all need to be seeing. It's just about over. 
We need to see life as it really is. It's not going to last long. And what's important is how we look afterwards. You ready to go? You don't know when that may be. You may think, well, I'm young and I got plenty of time. Well, maybe you do. Hope you do. But you may not. What if you don't? What if you don't make it till tonight? You ready for that? If you're here today and you're not a child of God, what are you waiting for? What do you have to lose by obeying the gospel right now today? You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. But by putting it off, you possibly have everything to lose and nothing to gain. If you're here today and you're guilty of some kind of a public sin that you would like to make right, we offer the prayers of the brethren for you. Again, what have you got to lose? Why put it off? Nothing to gain in putting it off. Don't be a fool and let your, your joy be in the house of mirth. Realize that there is a place of mourning and that's what's going to happen one of these days when you and I are gone. Others are going to mourn for us. These are just some things to think about. And this is all what the Lord is talking about because he sees these people who are nothing but complainers and troublemakers. And he's after them. He wants to bring them back. He wants to save them. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.